Today is the Feast of the Immaculate Conception, patroness of the United States. The epistle for this feast day is taken from the book of Proverbs. The Lord possessed me in the beginning of his ways before he made anything from the beginning. I was set up from eternity and of old before the earth was made. The depths were not as yet, and I was already conceived. Neither had the fountains of waters as yet sprung out. The mountains with their huge bulk had not as yet been established. Before the hills, I was brought forth. He had not yet made the earth, nor the rivers, nor the poles of the world. When he prepared the heavens, I was present. When with a certain law and compass, he enclosed the depths. When he established the sky above and poised the fountains of waters, when he compassed the sea with its bounds and set a law to the waters that they should not pass their limits, when he balanced the foundations of the earth, I was with him, forming all things, and was delighted every day, playing before him at all times, playing in the world. And my delights were to be with the children of men. Now, therefore, you children, hear me. Blessed are they that keep my ways, hear instruction, and be wise, and refuse it not. Blessed is the man that hears me and that watches daily at my gates and waits at the post of my door. He that shall find me shall find life and shall have salvation from the Lord. Please stand for the gospel. The gospel is taken from the first chapter of the gospel of St. Luke. At that time, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into a city of Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin, a spouse to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel being come in said unto her, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Please be seated. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. Dear Reverend Father, dear faithful, in the year 1848, there were revolutions that were taking place all throughout Europe. People were crying out for freedom. They wanted freedom of the press. They wanted freedom of expression. They wanted freedom from the tyranny of their employers. And many thousands of people lost their lives as a result of these revolutions. And many kings lost their thrones. These revolutions were largely motivated by Freemasonic thought. The idea that authority is identical with slavery and that freedom can only be had if people rule themselves in a democratic form of government where we have this sort of legal fiction that there is no authority above us. Freedom means doing whatever you want according to the Freemasonic definition, especially sin. They wanted to establish a society where as many people as possible could follow the dictates of their own will and not be subject to the will of any other. They wanted to create a society where people, if they wanted to divorce their spouse, they could do so. If they wanted to, for instance, uh, view pornography or kill babies or change genders or create whatever lifestyle that pleased them, that society would approve them just by the fact that it was a decision of their own wills. It was something that they wanted. 
no authority would be above them to stop them from fulfilling the dictates of their own desires. In that same year, 1848, Karl Marx and Frederick Engels penned a pamphlet under the name of the Communist Manifesto in which they set forth their political and social theories and they described all human history as a series of struggles between two different classes. There is the oppressed majority and then there is the oppressive minority. And effectively, there is a class struggle that goes on between them. And as a result, uh, the oppressed majority often remains oppressed and the uh, oppressive minority has a certain tyranny over the world. And in order to achieve freedom, what needs to happen is class struggle needs to be fomented. Violent revolutions need to happen. There needs to be certain, in a certain sense, constant rioting in cities um, waged ag against anybody really in authority so that eventually there are no classes whatsoever. There's, there's no, um, there's no higher class, there's no lower class. Everybody is on the same basic level through this incessant rioting. And then at that point, we will have a new society, which will be a, a utopia, a land of perfect freedom. People will be free. These are the two ideas of freedom proposed for human beings and human happiness by Freemasons and communists and which have been played out in our world for the past 170 years, such that to this day these ideologies are so triumphant that effectively we either have secular democracies in, in our nations or we have uh, socialist states in our democracies. But people are not free. It hasn't worked. These supposed tickets to human freedom have not delivered the goods that they promised. On the contrary, people today are suffering tyranny in frightening proportions. Our world saw an increase in tyranny in the 20th century that had never been witnessed in the history of the world, and it has definitely not stopped today. Well, it was right around that same time of 1848 when the, the Communist Manifesto was written and these revolutions were going on throughout Europe that the Catholic Church was proposing a different idea of freedom to the world, a different secret to attain human happiness. It was not a freedom by means of material riches, the Freemasonic freedom, or by getting to say whatever you want or do whatever you want. It was a freedom by attaining purity of heart. It was a freedom from sin. That has always been and always will be the church's idea of true human freedom, of true human happiness. In 1854, in the midst of Europe drunk on revolutionary freedom, which is a false freedom, Pope Pius IX proclaimed to the world that the Blessed Virgin Mary possessed, and I quote, a most excellent innocence, purity, holiness, and freedom. 
from every stain of sin from the first moment of her conception. What does this mean? From the first moment of her existence to the present day, Our Lady's soul has not been touched in any way by any evil whatsoever, by any turning away. Her soul has never, ever turned away, even in the least degree, from God, from what she is made for. She has always completely and utterly directed her soul towards God, towards the good, towards what is right, towards what is holy, because she has possessed complete and utter freedom in her soul. She has not allowed herself to be enslaved to any degree whatsoever to sin. And in the mind of the church, Our Lady, therefore, stands for us as a model of the most perfect freedom attainable by any human being because of the two aspects of that first moment of her existence that have been maintained by her till the present day. On the one hand, absolute purity of heart. On the other hand, complete freedom from sin. These are the two things that the church proposes to all of us if you want freedom. Freemasonry has its formula for freedom. Communism has its formula for human freedom. And the Catholic Church has its formula for freedom. The Catholic formula is that freedom from sin and purity of heart. That is what frees the human race from tyranny, from the greatest tyranny, the tyranny of our enemy, our great enemy, the devil. That's how you free yourself from him. But also from the tyranny of government overreach, the tyranny of oppressive working conditions, of any tyranny whatsoever. You will be free if your soul is free from any affection for sin. So the degree of your sinlessness is the measure of, of your freedom and your lack of slavery. The degree of your purity, of, of your sinfulness is the measure of your slavery and lack of freedom. This is the teaching of the Catholic Church. And we either believe that that is uh, the way in which we attain true human freedom, or we do not believe that. When we look, uh, there's a certain lesson in, in the My Catholic Faith Catechism that considers one of the Beatitudes, the Beatitude, blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. And there's, there's a little commentary on this Beatitude, and it talks about the five degrees attainable of purity of heart. And I think these five degrees express for us five degrees of freedom that, that we can strive for and hope to attain in our life. Um, they're, they're, they're kind of daunting. They're, they're so high in the separation of the soul from all that is evil. But I think it would be helpful for us to just to go over these five degrees just so we understand where our true freedom lies. The first degree of freedom, and this is a minimum, if you don't have this freedom, you are a slave, you are not free. The first degree of freedom is freedom from mortal sin, that you do not have a habit 
of mortal sin in your soul. That's the minimal level of freedom. If, if you are in the state of mortal sin, obviously you, you are not connected to God. You are a slave to the devil. Second degree, being free from deliberate venial sin and all affection for sin. Um, so sin does not hold any sway over your heart. You're not attracted to it. You don't want to perform it. Not even a venial sin. You're not even wanting to do that. We've still got three degrees to go. We're already pretty high. The third degree of freedom is being free from the least ill-regulated affection. You're not too fond of your own comfort. You're not too fond of having your own way. You're not too fond of, of your entertainments or your pleasures. You're not too anxious to avoid every difficulty and trial in this life, especially when it's not going to be good for you to avoid difficulty and trial. Somehow, your soul is standing above everything that happens to you and is, and is free to direct itself, no matter what mood you may be in, no matter what is going on in your life, your soul is standing above all of that. And you're not moved to by those things, but you're able to direct yourself where you need to go at all times because your heart is not dominated by those things. The fourth degree is being free from the almost imperceptible stains that delay a soul's entrance into God's home. And I, I can't even give any examples for this. I'd even, I don't even know what they, they are. The, the catechism doesn't give any examples. The almost imperceptible stains, the, the last vestiges of attachment to things that are disordered in our soul. And then the fifth degree it belongs to those Christians of such purity of life and thought, of such perfection of zeal and intention, that they habitually live for God alone and are perfectly united with him. What we have to see is that as these degrees mount higher and higher and higher, the soul leaves behind selfishness and the pettiness of this world. It attaches itself more and more to God, to what is good, to what is right. It becomes more capable of loving truly, of acting honestly. It can, it attains especially, we must see it based on this, what I'm, the subject of what I'm talking about, it attains especially su- supreme control over its own life and its own destiny. It is the ability for you to accomplish what you're made for. That is where your true freedom lies. And that is what this detachment from sin and purity of heart achieves for you. And on this feast day of the Immaculate Conception, my dear faithful, we, as it were, we stand at a distance and we look at the most blessed Virgin Mary. We look, we try to contemplate her soul and see how there is absolutely no shadow of deviation from what is good. No no shadow of affection for what is unruly or wrong or sinful. And we admire it. We look in awe at that soul of the Immaculate Conception, even from the most, from the first moment of her conception. Meanwhile, we, we have to look at that, at her soul from a distance because we are so far from that 
ourselves. And we cannot help but be weighed down with material things and with sin in this Freemasonic and, and communistic world. But the church, as I say, today invites us to look at a different world, the world of the soul of Our Lady and the souls of the saints, these models that are presented to us as ideals to strive for, for us to develop this admiration and this affection for the Blessed Mother, that, that hopefully we are inspired, we're motivated to seek, to imitate her, to want our hearts to be more like her Immaculate Heart. We really must desire that freedom of soul, which was hers. We must especially embrace something that you won't hear the Freemasons and the communists talking about, a word that is in our vocabulary as Catholics, but is not in that in their vocabulary, and that word is penance. That we as Catholics, we appreciate the cross, even voluntarily assuming mortification and penance so that we can set ourselves free. To be a freedom fighter in our mind is to fight firstly against those unruly affections in our heart. And so we seek out, we purposely seek out, willingly seek out mortification. We mortify ourselves so that we will subject our body to our soul and we will be able to dominate the world, the flesh and the devil in the sense that we can always push them away. We have the power to push them away because our soul is strong by the mortification we by the by the mortification of our will by the mortification of our body especially this feast day arriving as as it does in the midst of the season of advent reminds us that the season of advent is a sign of penance you cannot find our lord jesus christ you will not be able to seek him unless you do penance so let us pursue this true freedom during this time of Advent so that we may find our Lord. Let us pray to Our Lady to, to ask her to help us be sinful like her, that really she may truly set us free. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.